Dear congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Song of Songs, which are Solomon's, chapter 7. Let us hear God's holy word. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughters! The curves of your thighs are like jewels. The work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is a round goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks, down, looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. This statute of yours is like a palm tree, and your breast like its cluster, clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breast be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the great blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at, your gate, at our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. May he also add his blessing upon the exposition of it. <clears throat> Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have for several months or several times of the Lord's celebration of the Lord's Supper looked at the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And as we come to the end of the Song of Solomon today, and we look at chapter 7 and this morning and chapter 8 this afternoon, I want to remind you of the purpose and the movement that is within this Song of Songs. We recognize that it is not just a song only about human relationships, but there is typology going on here. Different than allegory, it is a typology because it's a real song between Solomon and this Shulamite woman who had an Egyptian background. If we, if we looked at something that was an allegory, we would recognize it's just a good story. But, but this is typology, recognizing that there is a real relationship here between Solomon and the Shulamite, who had very likely an Egyptian background, dark-skinned, one who was a gardener, a vine keeper, one who you would not expect to be the bride of King Solomon. 
And yet we find this as a reflection to the greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the greater than Solomon, and the bride of Christ, who is compared to the Shulamite. And we have within this song the imagery of a garden which permeates Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We have the picture of a marriage which also is from Genesis through Revelation and how it impacts all of our relationships here on earth, but especially our spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as the bride of Christ. We recognize that after the fall, all relationships have their ups and their downs, also in our marriages, but also spiritually speaking, in our marriage, even as God's children to the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the bridegroom is drawing out this beautiful confession that we have here in verse 10, which is the heart of really the response of the bride to the bridegroom in chapter 7. I'd like to read that again. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. And it's my prayer that through the Lord's Supper, Christ would also draw out this desired confession from us as he reminds us of his union with us and his desired communion toward us. And so we'll look at it with uh, this with the theme Christ's desire and communion with two thoughts to remind us of our union with him and secondly to remind us of his desire toward us I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me what prompted then the bride to say I am my beloved's if we remember and recall from past sermons through the Song of Solomon, that in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 16, she says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. In Song of Solomon 6, verse 3, she says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And here in chapter 7, verse 10, she says, I am my beloved's. And the focus here is not on the beloved being hers, as cherished as truth as that is from the rest of the Song of Solomon, but of her belonging to the Beloved, being united to her Beloved, to be married to her Beloved. And if we recognize what has happened in this love story and the ups and downs of it, we can recognize the reason for her to say this. Do you remember in chapter 4 how upon their marriage and upon their union, this beautiful love poem that the bridegroom has written to the bride, overflowing with adoration for his bride. You might think after such a poem, how could anything go wrong? This is fairy tale type of love. And yet it turns into a nightmare when you turn the pages to chapter 5. As we find the bridegroom waiting at the door of the bride and she's slow and sluggish to get up out of her bed and makes all kinds of excuses that she can't make it to the door and she finally when she does arrive at the door he's gone he's waited there all night for his bride and all he receives 
is silence. And yet, throughout the rest of, 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 this, of this love story and this love song, as it were, the bridegroom continues to remind the bride that he will love her to the end and absolutely nothing can break their union. And that's important for the bride to know is this union with her bridegroom. My beloved is mine. It's not as important to her as that she is her beloved's. Maybe, maybe you know, know that in your own experience to some degree. You can know how you feel about someone. Maybe as a young person already, you, you have a, a young man or a young woman in your sights. And, and you think that that person is, is the most beautiful person. He's the most handsome man. She's the most beautiful woman, whatever it would be. And you might have a confession much like the confession of the Shulamite woman that, that it, they're altogether lovely. This person's altogether lovely to you. You might even say that they're the best among 10,000. But those feelings toward that person does not compare to the feelings of that same person loving you just as much in return. You might be the one who is the first to get up the courage to tell your boyfriend or girlfriend to say, I love you and shower them with some praises of beauty. And maybe you're on a date or something and the evening comes to an end and, and the other person just leaves you in silence. You don't feel very secure, do you? You've just poured out your heart and, and told, them, told the other person that the emotions of your heart. And there you sit, wondering, do they love me? And this is something what's going on in, in, in this bride's life. Christ has drawn out her confession of her love for him. And then at the end of Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 13, he says, return, O Shulamite, return, that we may look upon you. And Christ is not silent. Even though she once was silent and couldn't make it to the door, Christ is not silent, but He responds with His expressed love and His union for His bride. And some of His language might even make us feel a little bit uncomfortable as we read it. But as we read it, let us remember that it focuses, first of all, on the union that the bride has with the bridegroom. Notice that in the first five verses especially she's called a prince's daughter a prince's daughter that's her current status he's saying you are mine you belong to me i have purchased you you are now a royal daughter a prince's daughter it agrees with the psalm we just sang from psalm 45 when we sang it from psalm 125 The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace, says the psalmist. She is a prince's daughter, and so it is by marriage. 
that Christ unites himself to this dark and even appalling bride. And he makes her a prince's daughter. He gives her the status of royalty, a royal daughter, one that's noble, one that's become an heir of the king of kings. Notice verse 5, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. She's crowned and her hair is, and her head is like purple. She didn't dye her hair purple just to make herself look good. Christ has given her the locks, the hair of purple, that, that royal color. She's a royal daughter. And she's adorned in such a way that Christ says she's, she's adorned, as it were, with lilies surrounding, surrounding her belly or her waist. There's lilies. He wants to show off the beauty of his bride. He wants to show off his workmanship in his bride because they are united together. Notice how he says that, that, there's, that this bride is the work of the hands of a skillful workman. In respect to her, her, her new birth, that birth that comes from God and that faith that unites her to Christ, he becomes her workmanship, bearing the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ as she's graced with his spirit. And she's given this body, this body that he's drawing our attention to. This, this whole imagery of the body as set forth here in, in the first uh, five verses. We've, we, we recognize that that's set forth so many places in Scripture. Sometimes negatively and sometimes positively. Especially in the New Testament, it's a positive portrayal of the bride of Christ that she is one body and her head is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think... If you just look, maybe even across the page in your Bible or the next page, in Isaiah 1, we recognize that the prophet also describes Israel, and who has gone astray, who has been corrupted. He, he reckons and looks at her from the very sole of her feet to her head, and she, he says, there's no soundness in you. Now that's not a very nice picture we recognize. But here, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, looks at his bride and he compares his bride to a perfect body. A perfect body. Much like we find even in 1 Corinthians 12. And sometimes he even gives more honor to the unnatural parts or the, the least honorable parts, the parts that lack honor. And some people don't have a whole lot of appreciation for their for feet. But there he begins. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. These feet in sandals. These feet that are, as we find in Ephesians chapter 6, that are gospel feet. The feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. He begins there at the feet. Those feet that stand in liberty of the gospel. Those feet that walk according to the rule of the gospel. The, those feet that run to bring glad tidings of the gospel. And he looks up and he sees the curves of the thighs. Very likely there he's looking at the knee joint. Where, where there's joints and sinews that, that supply movement to, to run and to go forth with those feet. 
You think about Ephesians 4 when, when he talks about how Paul's talking about how that body is supplied with joints to give her movement and strength. And as he looks up from the thighs, he sees the navel. That what he calls the round goblet that 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 portrays health. As we find in Scripture, the fear of the Lord is the health of the navel, navel by which even children in the womb receive nourishment. You look at the waist or the stomach area, and it's like a heap of weight. There's full nourishment in this body. He looks up a little farther and he sees two breasts, like two fawns that are nourished by the dough. He looks up higher and he sees the neck, like an ivory tower, revealing her faith, which unites her to her head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And those eyes, so clean and clear as the pool of Heshbon, that nose that's like a tower in Lebanon that exhibits the courage that she has from her union with Christ and that position in Christ and that crowning of Christ as she, with courage, looks toward the enemies in Damascus, knowing that she is united to her head. That head that has a crown. The crown like Mount Carmel upon it. Stands above all. And her hair. The color of royalty and purple. All because she's united to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one body in Christ. And the bride responds to, to such an admiration of the beloved. And she says, I am my beloved from the very sole of my foot to the top of my head. I belong to Him. He's united to the whole me. Despite who I am, despite my darkness, despite my weakness, despite my backslidings, He lifts me up today. He praises me for His work and His beauty that He has given to me through His Spirit-worked graces in me. That's, the, that's how the bride is responding. I am my beloved's. Isn't that what the whole picture is of the Lord's Supper? Though we have all sinned and continue to fall in sin, Christ says, Here I am. I have died for you. And He testifies that it's through His shed blood that He covers the sins of His bride. He pays the dowry price for His bride. He purchases His bride with His own blood. And He makes them princes, daughters of princes. He makes them royalty. His body is broken for my sin in order to clothe me with His righteousness. His grace to repair my broken body, to set my feet upon that rock, to give it movement, to give it life, to give it health, to give the body nourishment and confidence in this kingly estate. It's all based on that union with Christ. To be purchased, to be owned, and to be one with Him. I am my beloved's. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that? I am my beloved's. I might ask you what you think of Christ, and that's important. 
What does Christ think of you today as his bride? If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you love him with all of your heart, don't sell yourself short as a bride of Christ. You are united to the King of Kings. You are a prince's daughter. And you, as one perfect body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, are pleasing in his eyes because of that union with him. And just as profound as that union is his very desire toward his people. His desire toward his people. And that's what Christ is setting forth before us in communion as well. He reminds us of his desire toward us. Is what prompts the bride to say, his desire is toward me. Well, remember again, back in the Song of Solomon's in chapter 4, it speaks of the bride being this garden. And she, her prayer is at the end of Song of Solomon 4, is that the north wind would awake and the south wind would come and blow upon the garden, that, that the spices would flow out, that they could enjoy the very fruits of this garden. That they could enjoy the desires of this garden. And after she fails, she's not so confident about her garden. I'm sure of that. Matter of fact, she even asks that at the end of chapter 6. Yeah, you know, what are you going to see in me? A dance between two camps? Are you going to see two of me? This hypocritical spirit. I'm not really who I ought to be. As she goes down to that garden of nuts, she recognizes that. And yet, her heart is drawn to her bridegroom and that unity that she has in him. And here the bridegroom comes and he praises her and that union with him, but also that communion with her. And the reality is this, that the fruits, many of which we wouldn't even want to enter into our Lord's mouth, because he would spew them out because of their lukewarmness. Yet, he comes to his garden and he praises her for his fruits. You know what's so amazing? It's really amazing grace that we don't begin with the communion of Christ, but we begin with the union of Christ, with Christ. If we had to begin with communion to end up in union with Christ, we would all fail miserably. Absolutely miserably. If our union was uh, in Christ was conditional upon how good our communion was with Christ, well, that would be a miserable place to be. Isn't that what we have in relationships today? Well, it's all about how I feel. If my marriage is falling apart and I don't feel good in my marriage and I don't feel attractions and affections toward my spouse, then, then, then the union with my spouse doesn't matter. I'll have a divorce and we'll find someone who, who will suit my needs. That's the view of marriage today. But not so with Christ. Not so with Christ. Listen to what he says. This bride, who has every reason to divorce, this bride who, who, who is slumbering, sleeping, backslidden, all these kind of things throughout this song. He says of her in verse 6, 
how fair and how pleasant you are. O oh, love with your delights. The statue, the stature of yours is, is like a palm tree and your breast like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will lay hold of its branches. Now your breasts be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. There's no mistaking Christ's desire for his bride and his delight in her garden. How fair and pleasant you are. How agreeable you are to me. Because you are like me. You are becoming holy like me. You are being filled with the fruits of the Spirit, both inwardly and outwardly. Oh, how fair and pleasant and agreeable you are to me, says the bridegroom. As he looks at her stature, it's like a palm tree, straight and strong and flourishing. He looks at her as he examines her from the very sole of her foot to the top of her head. And as he looks at her like a palm tree that is loaded, loaded with, with clusters of, of fruit. And he sees her. And he sees her as those, as that palm tree is, is, has been tried and tested and, and now its branches are extending as emblems really of victory and fruitfulness. I think any, anyone who's done any gardening can walk into a garden and, and tell whether the vines or the, the plants are healthy. And as they, as they grow up straight and strong and as, as, their, as their branches hold forth the fruit, you can say, that just by looking at it, the stature of those, of, those, of those plants are healthy. And Christ comes into his garden and he sees that palm tree and he comes in and he wants to lift up the branches. He wants to take hold of those branches. He wants to have intimate, enjoyed communion with its fruits and, and, and the breasts there are like clusters of the vine. He wants to enjoy those fruits. As he comes closer to the mouth, he smells the breath like apples and and the very roof of her mouth like the best wine. This is the most intimate picture you have in all of the Song of Solomon. It's Christ's desire for his bride to be close to her, in communion with her, and enjoying the fruits of his spirit in her. What does the bride, how does the bride respond? Well, she confesses that his desire is toward me. But I believe also verse 9b, the second part of verse 9, she says these words, the wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. This is really what prompted him to praise her. As he comes close in this intimate, close relationship of communion with his bride, she says that that wine must have gone down smoothly as it's moved 
the lips of the sleepers. Christ is not sleeping this morning in this text. He comes into his garden. He looks. He tastes. He delights. And as the wine flows into his mouth of all the graces of his people that are worked in them, he praises his bride. His lips cannot be shut. No matter how how slumbering you might be, the Lord Jesus Christ is not slumbering here. He praises his bride and he desires his bride's communion with him. That's what our Lord wants us to see in the Lord's Supper. His desire is toward me. His eyes and His desires are only for me. I am at the heart of His affections. Isn't that what He prays for His church? John 17, verse 24, He prays, Father, I desire that they also who You gave me may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory which You have given me. For You loved me before the foundation of the world. My desire is that they would be with me, in communion with me. That's the desire that Christ has for His bride this morning in the Lord's Supper. He delights in that union and that desire that He shows us in communion for Him. It prompts really another response of the bridegroom of the bride in response to Christ's love. In verse 11. Come, my beloved. Let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. If Christ comes to us this morning and shows us and tells us how much He loves us, how much He has done for us, how much He desires to have communion with us, Can you and will you not say, Come, my beloved, let us go forth and celebrate this communion because there I will give you my love. I will testify of my love for you. I will be nourished in that love you have for me and walk out of that love every day of my life. May I ask you, what would keep you from doing so? What would keep you from giving your love and your affection to Jesus who loved you so much and he laid down his life for you to bring you into union with him and to set this opportunity to have communion with him even this morning? May God bless us as we unite as one body communing with our Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. Amen.